Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we're continuing his series, God's Providence, today with a message entitled, God Rules the Nations. So turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 22, verses 27 and 28, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. My parents grew up in small German villages in what was then the USSR and now is the Ukraine. You know, the growing up years were years of terror. Stalin was ruling the Soviet Union with an iron fist and had decided that the farmers of the Ukraine belonged to the bourgeoisie. You know, in the process, Stalin began a forcible starvation of the Ukraine in a land where the topsoil is rich and food would have been abundant. In the process, my grandfather was arrested and killed as a counter-revolutionary, and my father's brother died of malnutrition. For me personally, I grew up on mom and dad's stories of communist spies, thought police, and a childhood filled with fears and terrors. And I mention this because I've started a topical Bible study series on God's providence, which, as we have seen, means that God not only rules all things, but that he brings about all things according to the purpose of his will. Up until now, I've dealt primarily with the world of inanimate objects and the animal world, but now it's time to start asking the hard questions. Please don't think, and I know you don't, that that my extended family was the only one who suffered. Early on in the 20th century, the Turks committed a holocaust against Armenian Christians, putting to death over two million of them. While my parents were suffering, they were not the only ones suffering during their time period. Stalin's executions, gulag camps, and deportations caused the death of some 20 million people in that country. Hitler was in the process of murdering six million Jews. In Mao's communist revolution in China, it would end the lives of some 45 million in what he called the Great Leap Forward. And in today's world, when, as I'm recording this program, discussions are ongoing with the North Korean regime, and we're reminded of the systematic murdering of a great number of people in that evil regime. All of this is staggering and gives rise to the most basic of questions. Are we saying too much when we say that God rules the nations? And if we as Christians agree that we're not saying too much, when we proclaim Christ as Lord of the nations, we must then agree that we have some explaining to do. You see, we in the West where we have democracies, we often complain about the government that won the last election. But the doctrine of providence would teach us that God oversees each election. And Romans 13 verse 1 says, For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. See, I know that we, that is, those who live in the world's democracies, often struggle with that issue. But what do we make of the fact that in countries when things get brutal or where those authorities that exist are profoundly evil, What do we make of the untold suffering that happens there? But rather than addressing those questions first, go to the scripture and find what indicates that God really rules the nations. For me, the place to begin is in Psalm 22, verses 27 to 28. It says, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations of the earth. 
You know, kingship in the First Testament simply refers to the kind of government of all the nations around Israel. We might properly apply this verse by saying that the government of the nations belongs to the Lord, and that is, the Lord controls it. And through the ones he has put into power, God rules the nations of the earth. Again, before we question how this can be so, let's look at other passages of Scripture. I'm reading Deuteronomy 32, verse 8. It says, When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. In order to understand that passage, we have to imagine Moses in his farewell address to Israel. Moses knows he's about to die, and after his death, Israel will follow Joshua, and they will inherit the promised land. In order to prepare them for their mission, Moses wants Israel to understand God's providential hand. So we have to imagine that Israel as a nation with a land and borders, well, that was yet a future event. But Moses wants Israel to understand that people groups receive the boundaries for their land because of the predetermined plan of God. That's not his only thought. When he says, according to the number of the sons of Israel, he means to say that God had already determined who Israel's neighbors would be. And those neighbors would play a key and vital role in accommodating God's purpose for his people. Now, if you think about it, that's, that's very interesting. We know that in time, Israel would be involved in some rather bloody warfare with some of those nations. And we also know the role those nations would play in subverting many of the people of Israel, enticing them into idolatry. In the days of Samuel, Israel would look at those nations and say, give us a king so that we can be like those nations rather than the unique people of God. Those nations tempted Israel. So if you think about it, you might say that the boundaries that God established around Israel would present Israel with a great choice. Will they as a people trust in the Lord and cling to him, or would they abandon God and become like the surrounding nations? And so God's providential determination of those nations would be the test in order to determine what was truly in Israel's heart. And as we continue to read the First Testament, that's exactly what we find. Follow me to the book of Judges, a time in Israel's history in, in which they were found to be faithless, not once, but many times. So listen to Judges 2, verses 20 to 23. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he said, because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their father did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly. So now we begin to understand that some of the nations around Israel, so powerful, so threatening, were deliberately made that way in order to examine the spiritual life of God's people. Now from those texts, we can form some conclusions. Psalm 46, verses 8 to 10 says, Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. 
You know, that's to say, nations rise and nations fall at God's specific command. They win and they lose battles when God so commands that it should happen. And God fulfills his purpose in this, for he is ordering the nations in such a way that when his work is done, he is exalted in the earth. Job 12, 23 says, He makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and leads them away. And Paul said something very similar when he spoke to the philosophers in Athens. It's recorded in Acts 17, verse 26. Paul says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live in all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries for their dwelling place. So that would mean that the exact borders of a nation, the period of time for the existence of that nation, has been determined not by chance or by political realities, but by God himself. And Paul went on to say that the way in which God did this would lead many, in his words, feeling their way toward him. And we might say they're seeking God and finding God. See, I'll come back to those thoughts at the conclusion of this message but I have wanted to make the point that what happens among the nations is sovereignly arranged by God. It is therefore most important to know that that God doesn't play the short game. He plays the long game. And it's a fool's question to ask, how can God allow such cruelty in a given moment without then stepping back from the immediate and looking at the great and grand and eternal plans of God? I remember standing in the city square in Timisoara, which is in Romania. During the time of Ceausescu, who was the dictator of Romania, hundreds of innocent people were shot to death, including little children. But out of that great horror came an opening for the Church of Jesus Christ to proclaim the gospel in a way that could not have come about in any other way. And the psalmist says that God rules the nations of the world. And once we grasp the providence of God, we will not despair, even though we will sorrow, but we will take hope. Here at Back to the Bible Canada, we're committed to the mission of providing excellence and Bible teaching you can trust in every medium possible. Both Bible teaching and engagement programs are available online through video, print, radio, podcast, mobile app, and CD. It's our prayer that anyone who tunes in will discover encouragement for their spiritual journey and insight for living through the study of the Bible. All of these resources are made possible through the faithful support of our listeners. It's your generous donations that allow the mission to be accomplished. So thank you for all you do. And remember, that if you want to receive our monthly gift this month, Dr. John's new booklet, 10 Questions About Money Matters, all you need to do is visit backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425. And thanks again for your generous support. I began by establishing that no government or nation can come into being if God has not willed that it be so. I've also acknowledged that there is a certain mystery in all of that. For on the one hand, God has allowed the nations to rebel against him, but in their rebellion, 
He strictly controls them, planning their rise and their fall. So what can we say with certainty? First, let's begin by acknowledging that God controls the government of every country, including ours. I've often heard Christians bitterly disagreeing with that truth, but it's a biblical truth. In Daniel chapter 2, we read about the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. By the way, he's the man that was responsible for destroying Israel and burning her temple to the ground. And after Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and Daniel interprets it, the Bible records Daniel's conclusion of the matter. And verse 21 says, He, that is God, changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. See, that verse reflects that Daniel was certain that that the king who was the enemy of his people had been given that season of rulership by God himself. But the Bible is even more specific than telling us that God determines who will be the human ruler of nations. See, the Bible goes further, indicating that in his providential design, God determines what those individual rulers will do. You know, in that regard, Isaiah 37 is a very important chapter in the Bible. The background to that chapter is that Sennacherib, who was the king of Assyria, had surrounded Jerusalem to destroy her. And that was during the days of righteous King Hezekiah. And in the height of the crisis, Hezekiah enters the temple of the Lord and he pleads with God for mercy. And Isaiah the prophet is called upon to go and visit the king. And the prophet has something very important to tell the king about the Assyrians and specifically about the rulership of their king, a man named King Sennacherib. And so I'm reading Isaiah 37, verses 26 and 27, in which the prophet speaks directly to the king of Assyria and his mighty accomplishments on the battlefield. Here's what God says. Have you not heard that I determined it long ago? I planned from days of old what now I bring to pass that you should make fortified cities crash into heaps of ruins, while their inhabitants, shorn of strength, are dismayed and confounded, and have become like plants of the field and like tender grass, like grass on the housetops, blighted before it's grown. Now, does that surprise you that the expansion of the Assyrian Empire and its terror to the nations around them was, was planned by God? But it shouldn't. Once you grasp the very heart of the doctrine of God's providence, that God plans and arranges all things. Now, in terms of Assyria, I'm going to say that eventually all this led to the end of idolatry in Judah, and eventually it led to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God was moving the nations around at his will, planning their activities so that he would accomplish his purposes on the earth. I want you to hold on for a moment because if you haven't heard what I'm about to say, it might just take your breath away. See, in the end, the reason God arranges the cultures of the earth is for the good of his church. Yes, all things in the geopolitical structures of the earth and in any local politics, in any given locality, is being providentially arranged to maximize the good of the church and to increase the harvest of men and women to become followers of Jesus Christ. Are you unconvinced? Let me take you to Ephesians 1.22. It says, And he that is God the Father put all things under his, that is God the Son's feet, and gave him as head over all things for the church. See, the context of that verse is that when Christ was raised from the dead, the Father gave the Son an authority over every rule 
and authority and power and dominion, that is, over every form of earthly authority for the purpose of or for the benefit of his church. Are you still unconvinced? Well, don't be. Listen to John's words in Revelation 1 verse 5, where John calls Jesus the ruler of the kings of the earth. Are you amazed by that? Again, don't be, for as we read through Revelation, we read through the story of seven churches in Asia Minor, many of whom were hard-pressed by persecution which came from the Roman emperor. And yet, when we come to Revelation 4, John says that a door opened in heaven, and he heard the voice of God saying, come up here. And then he finds himself before the very throne room of God, seeing the one who sits on the throne, the the sea of glass before him, surrounded by the 24 elders and the four living creatures. And what is it that John is seeing? He is seeing that the one on that throne rules the one who sits on the throne in Rome. The church need not fear, for the one in heaven rules them all. You still need more proof. Well, listen to the words of a pagan king. Cyrus, the king of Persia, the the very king that let the people of Israel leave the land of exile and go back to their promised land. Ezra chapter 1 verse 2 records him as saying, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has charged me to build a house at Jerusalem. Now, having established that God rules the nations, that the nations often rage against God, but that God still in providence, rules their time periods, where their borders will lie, how long they will exist as a nation, the exact time period in which they live, the person who is to become their ruler, the things that that ruler will do, and that he does it all to advance the gospel and to grow the church. That's what we learn from the Bible. But now we do well to ask ourselves what we should do with that information. Is there something about this that should change our lives? Indeed, this information, once believed, does change everything. Let me speak to those of us who live in a democracy. It's often our tendency to speak well of those prime ministers and presidents with whom we agree, and then we rage against those who come to power from another party, the ones with whom we disagree. And for some of us, when when the wrong leader comes into power, it, it almost launches us into a crisis of faith. And furthermore, we display our callous lack of faith in the way in which we react. And we fear to say, as Paul did in Romans 13, verse 1, that there is no authority except from God. And furthermore, it grates us deeply to say, as Paul does in Romans 13, verse 2, that whoever resists the authorities resists God. You know, as I record this message, a a unique political event has happened in my country, in Canada. The President of the United States has imposed heavy uh, heavy trade and tariffs on Canadian steel and aluminum, resulting in a certain level of chaos. And as a result, many of us are joining in a chorus of reactions against what we perceive to be an unjust action. Look, I'm not a political animal, and and I won't be joined to a political party or a political leader, but I am praying in a different way than a great many people. I'm praying, oh Lord, I know that this is your doing and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I don't know how, but dear Lord, as you providentially guide the nations, would this action serve to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ? And furthermore, in a way that I don't yet understand, would this serve to advance the gospel in my country, and would it contribute in some mysterious way to make your church strong in word and deed? I know many of you might misunderstand what I'm saying. 
You're assuming that I think that imposing such barriers is a good thing or a righteous thing. But I don't think that any more than I think that Sennacherib, king of Assyria, turning the cities of the ancient world into piles of rubble was a good thing. No, it was an evil thing that Sennacherib did. And, and that means that saying that God rules the actions of world rulers doesn't make a statement about the morality of what they're doing. That's another topic entirely. But God does permit, or might I say now even ordain, that they should act in such a fashion. And furthermore, don't misunderstand me to say that there should be no measured and reasonable response to trade barriers, whatever that should be. You know, politicians in both countries will act in what they consider to be the best interests of their nations. And as we know, sometimes that does lead to bad consequences. But I never lose faith that behind the outworking of world politics and local politics always stands the providential hand of the God whom I love. So what have we said? We've noticed that the Bible teaches that God rules the nations and that he rules them down to the details. It is he who appoints presidents and prime ministers. It is he that ordains their actions, and he will use all these things for his glory and the good of his church. So how then should we react? Look, I do know that in a short term, the actions of governments do and can hurt the church and bring harm to individual believers. But as Christians, let's not lose our focus on the eternal, that nothing but nothing can hinder the advance of the kingdom of God. So don't despair. Be of good cheer and full of faith. John, as you were talking, some good friends came to mind, mutual friends that we've had in this office. We've been talking to politicians. People are in politics. So I have to ask you the question, though. As Christians, with all that we've said, is it important that we involve ourselves in that? I think it's important for us to say that if we believe that God rules over everything and that we are involved in, uh, in the kingdom of God, uh, obviously our primary task is to declare the gospel. Uh, anything that we do that, that takes away from that of course, takes us from our primary mission. But having said that, I think it's important for Christians to, to think about how they can impact uh, the wider world. I, I think uh, knowing that God rules over all, not just us, but over all nations, and that God does good, and uh, that God uh, raises up nations and brings them down. I mean, all that kind of stuff tells us that Christians ought to be involved in every single human endeavor, because in every single human endeavor, we find God there. So I'm going to say yes, Christians, be involved in politics to the glory of God. Thanks so much, John, and thanks for your message today. And remember to join us again tomorrow for more of this series, God's Providence, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Want access to all your favorite Back to the Bible content right at your fingertips? Then be sure to check out our free app. There you can listen to your favorite audio messages, read the Dr. John and Company blog, watch video sermons from Dr. John, and even access a digital Bible. Perfect for on the go. To download the Back to the Bible Canada app at absolutely no cost to you, simply visit your app store and search Back to the Bible Canada. And for more information, give us a call at 1-800-663-2425. 
And on behalf of the whole ministry team, thank you. It's your support that allows us to make Bible teaching resources such as these possible.